Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee. And I want to say a big thank you for listening in to our weekly radio broadcast. We hope that this radio broadcast is encouraging to you in some way as you begin your week, that it equips you in your faith, and that in some way helps you to orient back to those things that are most important in your life and walk of faith. Always know that you can find out more about what's going on in our congregation if you go to collegehills.org. You can find out more about on-campus meeting, online meeting, and you can find previously recorded podcasts and sermons and other information about what's going on in the life of our congregation over at collegehills.org. We're currently journeying through a series that we're calling The Divine Invitation, and what we're doing in this series is we are looking at these virtues that Peter lists in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, where he calls us to become participants in the divine nature. And next on our list for today is this virtue of kindness. We're called to be people of kindness. Instead of reading the passage from Second Peter, I want to look at a different passage today as we reflect on this topic of kindness by reading Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the many gifts that you have given us. 
pray today as we reflect on this powerful passage, these words of Paul in Colossians 3, that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more in the image of your Son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. What does it mean for followers of Jesus to cultivate kindness in our lives? This past summer, I sent my daughter to my home congregation in Clarksville to attend the VBS where I grew up going each year. I wanted her to attend the event that formed me in such significant ways and my parents volunteered to keep my toddler for three days in a row. So I need to confess that the toddler-free reality also impacted my decision to send her away for a few days. My wife and I drove from Lebanon to Clarksville to drop her off, and when we arrived, my mom had been cleaning out closets, and there were a few documents that she had pulled out to give me. And the one that struck my attention was my baptismal certificate that I received many decades earlier. As I looked at it, I remembered that quiet Saturday afternoon surrounded by a few friends when I was baptized. Obviously, this was a document I wanted to keep, so I took it back to Lebanon. And when I got home, I headed straight for the place where I knew that I wanted to keep it safe. That place was my work desk at home. There was a drawer and is a drawer on the left, and in it was a large manila envelope that I pulled out, and that envelope also had another document in it, my wedding certificate that I share with my wife. I put the baptism certificate in that folder, not just because I wanted it to be safe and not just because I wanted it to be close to another significant document from my life, but I also put that document and my marriage certificate together because for me, they reflect similar commitments that I have made. Both documents are reminders of a day when I entered into a covenant that is larger than myself, one with my wife and one with God. And that's the thing that we can never forget about baptism. Baptism is not some empty ritual, but a meaningful and weighty commitment to God. Baptism is a kind of ceremony where we are committing to begin a new life with God. That's why when we read Paul's letters, he so often talks about baptism and our way of life. Colossians is one of my favorite examples of this connection for Paul between baptism and living. Paul begins his letter to the church at Colossae by reminding them of the nature of Christ. In Colossians 1, he paints that beautiful portrait of the supremacy of Christ, the cosmic Christ who reigns over the entire universe. The resurrection of Jesus causes him to reign high above all things and to hold all things together. Then we get to chapter 2, and Paul reminds the church that they're bound up in that same Christ. And the moment where they are bound up into Christ is at their moment of baptism. He writes these words in chapter 2, verse 12. 
when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Baptism for Paul is this important moment of dying with Christ and being raised to new life with Christ. And then several verses later, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul will use the exact same language to talk about the implications of their baptism. At the beginning of chapter 3, he writes, So if you have been raised with Christ, and everything that follows from that single verse until the middle of chapter 4 will be Paul's attempt to explain the implications of their baptism. Or to use our theme for this series, Paul is inviting these men and women to move deeper into the implications of their baptism. Baptism is that moment where we are saying yes to an invitation and we're being invited into a new kind of life shaped by that moment. When we come out of the water, we continue to live more fully into that divine invitation. And so what we read this morning or today when you're listening to this in chapter 3, those 17 verses, is a significant part of what Paul believes the baptism life looks like. Now, Paul says a lot about this new life in Christ and how we're called to live. I think Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is worth sinking deep into and meditating on. I would highly recommend just taking a slow journey through those important words. But what I want to focus on today is verse 12, where Paul writes these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. One of the very first things Paul says that we are called to live into is kindness. In fact, if you trace kindness from Matthew to Revelation, then you're going to find that this word gets used a total of nine times. Three of those times it will be used to describe something that humans are doing. And then the other six times when we read the word kindness, every single one of those are used to describe the nature of God. Now, I don't want to read too much into that fact, but I think that distribution of three times human kindness and six times God kindness reminds us of a couple of important things. One, the kindness of God is always more bountiful and abundant than the kindness of humans. And secondly, the kindness of God should always give shape to our practice of kindness. The kindness of God should always give shape to our practice of kindness. Now, I say that second point because I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but kindness is a popular word these days. Music artists make kindness a motto. Social media influencers talk about being kind. I was taking a walk in my parents' neighborhood on 4th of July weekend this past year, and there in a yard was a big blue sign with bold white letters that simply said, 
be kind. Now, hear me when I say that I don't have a problem with any of these messages. If you look at the world we live in, I think everyone could afford to be a bit more kind. But I also think that the more generally a word gets used, the more generic it becomes. And as a Christian, our notions of kindness should always be rooted in God's nature. The way we understand and practice kindness needs to reflect the kindness we see in God. Now, I'm not going to read off all of those six passages where God's kindness is referenced in Scripture. Instead, I want to highlight one of those six references. In Titus 3, verses 4 through 5, we read this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of our righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I love this passage because it so helpfully sums up what makes God's kindness unique. God's kindness is unique, not just because of what God does, but where God goes. God's kindness is unique because even when we are most unlike Him, He still becomes like us. God's kindness is unique because when we are far away, He comes out and saves us anyway. God's kindness is like the father of the prodigal son. Even when he was a long way off, the father ran out, went out, and met him, embraced him, and showed him the kindness of a father. And it's that image of kindness that I think, must shape what it means for us to be men and women who cultivate kindness in our lives. One of the most helpful ways I've been taught about this way of kindness grows out of the work of an ethics teacher named Peter Singer and his concept that he calls the moral circle. This idea states that every human and group have a moral circle that we carry with us. In other words, we have people who are in our group, our crew, our squad, and others who just are not in our group. There's nothing wrong with having a circle of people that you consider to be your people. Sometimes we might say that these people are our inner circle, and that's a good thing. Often the the circle could be your family, but then as you grow, you develop other relationships, and those people also become your circle. Well, the reason that Singer calls it the moral circle is because it's easier for us to be kind and moral towards these people. It's easier for us to be nice to, care for, and show kindness to people in our circle. And anyone who's outside of the circle, well, it's often much harder for me to do kind, caring, nice things to them. This is why 
And I confess, when I'm on an airplane and my daughter is crying, I am understanding and kind and caring. But when it's someone else's kid that's crying, then I am wondering why their parents will not just hush that baby up. My daughter is in my circle. That kid is not in my circle. It's easier for me to be kind to her than it is to them. In fact, the example from my family gets to the origin of this word kindness and why it's an ideal word to consider when thinking about our moral circles. Because this word kindness comes from an old English word meaning kin, as in one's family or race or nation. So often, this is how kindness works, right? We are kind to our kind. We show kindness to those who are like us, who are related to us, and who are in our moral circle. We are kind to those who talk like us, look like us, share our values, and who remind us of us. And this tendency is good, it's right, we should show kindness to those in our circle. But if we want to reflect a kindness that looks like the kindness of God, then it will not stop there. It will not stop with just our people, because the God that we meet in Jesus is a God who goes out of that circle to come and rescue us, save us, and show us kindness. God's kindness shows up to us when we are least like Him. God's kindness comes out to us even when we are a far way off. And that's the kindness we're called to embody. Anyone can be kind to their kind, but if we want to reflect the kindness of God, if we want to go all in on kindness that we experience in Jesus Christ, then we're going to be men and women who are willing to go beyond the circles we create and be kind to those who are least like us, to those who it might be hard to show kindness to, to be kind to those who are not our kind. To be kind like God means we move out of our moral circle and move towards those least like us. Several years ago, I was at a small groups conference back in 2016, and there was a session that I attended by a guy named Tim Cooper, and he had a class that he was teaching called Engaging Culture. And he began to talk about different examples in life of where the moral circle begins to come into play. And the example that he gave that was humorous and memorable was the example of being at a restaurant. And he said, imagine being at a restaurant and your friend is your server. Imagine that they're new to the job. They're still getting familiar with what they're doing at this particular restaurant. And so you come with a few of your friends And they come to serve you, and they get everything wrong. They are late bringing you your water. They mess up your order. They forget to come back to your table on a regular basis. And he says, imagine if that were to happen, what would you do? 
you would say to your friend, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We don't even like water. We didn't want you to get our order right. Yeah, you would do all of the things that you did to a friend to let them know it's totally okay. No need to worry about it. We are not going to be upset with you. Take your time. You're still learning the job. We would be kind to them. And then he contrasts that with another example. And he says, now imagine going to the same restaurant with the same group of friends, but the server that you have is not someone that you know. And imagine if all the same things happen. They are late getting you water. They mess up your order. They don't come to your table as often as you think they should. He says, what would happen then? He goes, more often than not, you would not be kind to that server. You might ask for the manager. You might be short with them. You might not give them any tip. You wouldn't easily be kind to them. What's the difference between those two servers? One server, the first server, you know you have a relationship with. They are your kind. They're in your moral circle. But that second server is someone outside of your moral circle. Someone whom it is harder to be kind to because they are not your kind. And Tim uses this example, or he used this example in that session, to spark some conversation among the church leaders who were there. Because again, it was a class called Engaging Culture. And Tim went on to reflect about what he's observed in working with churches. That churches often say they want to influence culture, but they are rarely willing to engage culture. He got us all thinking in that session as church leaders And he observed that what can happen to churches is that we can so quickly and tightly form our circles based upon a number of things. And for every church, it's different. And then we end up turning inward and we can so easily turn our backs on the world. And so his encouragement and challenge was simply to begin influencing culture around us by engaging the culture through kindness, by making it a point to be kind to those who are not our kind. I was working on this lesson, and while I was working on it, I was spending some time watching my three-year-old. She was sick on this given day, so she was home with me, and I was home with her, and I was sitting at the kitchen table, typing away, When she came into the room and she asked, as she often does, Dad, what are you doing? So I told her I was working on a sermon and trying to explain to her in language she could understand kind of what I was doing while I was typing. And she asked what my sermon was about, and I said, it's about kindness. And she replied, oh, well, I think that you need to tell everybody that we're supposed to be kind. (laughs) And I laughed and and I told her that I was planning on telling everyone that we should be kind. But then I was curious and so I asked her, I said, what 
do you think kindness is? What is kindness? And she looked at me, and she said this, Dad, kindness is sharing with others. And then she walked out of the room, and I immediately wrote down what she said. Because I loved her take on kindness. Kindness is sharing with others. And the reason why I liked what she had to say was twofold. One, it reminds us that kindness is always us giving up something of ourselves. If we're going to share, that means we're giving up something that is ours. And that's always involved with kindness. But the second reason I liked her quote, kindness is sharing with others, is because it is giving up something of ourselves to someone other than us. And we all have different kinds of others in the world. We all have a, quote-unquote, those people. We all have a, quote-unquote, that person. We all have those people who we can subtly or maybe more overtly push out of our circles and who make it difficult for us to show them kindness, those people kindness, that person kindness. And that's why I like those words of Tim, that challenge of Tim in his session on engaging culture. Because it reminds me that often the ways in which I am called to make a difference as a Christian don't start with these large and elaborate and fantastic ways, but often the ways in which I am called to make a difference as a follower of Jesus is by being willing to simply engage those who are not like me and to engage them with kindness, with sharing, with gentleness and generosity in those everyday, ordinary kinds of ways. True kindness is not always elaborate, but true kindness is more often everyday and ordinary. It shows up in the way that we treat our server at a restaurant who might be difficult for us. It's the way that we talk about our coworkers who get on our nerves. It shows up in the way that we treat those people, no matter how different they may be from us. And these are the kinds of people that we're called to be. The kind of people who are kind to those who are not our kind. Because at one time, while we were far away, God came out to us and he ran out to meet us and embrace us. Because at one time, we were far from being like God, but he still became like us. I want to close today with some questions. Some questions that Tim posed in that session 
many years ago that still resonate and challenge me today. How different would your world be if you just expanded your moral circle? What if all of a sudden the people in your church were known for treating other people in their society like family? What would that do to you? What would that do to your church? What would that do to your life and heart? Amen.